Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. phones out real quick. Everybody get your phones out and maybe you don't know how to do this, but I'm going to teach you something. Well, I'm probably not going to teach you because I had to figure out how to do it. This is not to turn it off. I knew how to turn it off. So if you already turned it off, power it back on. I want, if you know how, if you don't ask one of the, the teenagers sitting next to you how to do this, I want you to go to your screen time and I want to see who decreased in screen time the most. Now I will tell you, that uh, I did a tithe. My screen time was down 10% from last week. Uh, so I did pretty good. My mom blew me out of the water. She went down 33% or something like that. But right now, the highest number I've seen all morning, believe it or not, I can't believe this, this is, boggles my mind. I'm, st- I'm still figuring out maybe he got into the code and changed it somehow. But my oldest son, his screen time decreased by 55% this week. Um, I think he's lying, but I saw the numbers on the screen myself. I checked it. Anybody beat 55% decrease in screen time this week? Anybody? How, do, oh, man. Okay, we don't have time. It, just, somebody just say yes, and I'll give you credit. Okay, yeah, so there you go. All right. If you don't know how, after service, come see somebody knows something about tech, and we'll show you how. It's a great feature. So in 1984, in 1984, just 8% of all households had a personal computer. Think, let that sink in. In 1984, only uh, 8% of the households in America had a computer in their house. And the World Wide Web was still five years away. Didn't even have it at home. No internet, no such thing as internet. It was ridiculous. We did dial-up. Anybody remember that? Yeah, okay. So, And then the other thing that was uh, interesting about that, that season of our life was that cell phones were few and far between, and those that did have cell phones had to have a U-Haul trailer attached to their vehicle because they were so big. Anybody remember the bag phones? They were massive. They called, one, of the, uh, the, one of the models was called the Brick. Remember the Nokia Brick? Yeah. It was, uh, it, so let me show you how this has progressed. In 1990... 96, this blows my mind, in 1990, 96% of Americans did not own a cell phone in 1996, and now, today, 95% of all Americans own a cell phone. It is unbelievable, and just since 2008, uh, in 2008, the App Store was released, and it has changed the game. Now, because of the app store, uh, all these apps are put out that are designed for one purpose and one purpose only. We talked about this last week. They were designed or say they're designed to help us to connect, right? We're supposed to be better connected, stronger in relationship. Um, but I have discovered that, that this is true, that if the Wi-Fi signal is weaker, the relationships are stronger. Uh, haven't you discovered that too? Uh, so we can't seem to escape this need to connect, but all of this technology that was designed to help us achieve connection uh, that we so deeply crave has started to get in the way. So let me illustrate. So this is how we're going to illustrate. We're going to come to the table. Come on, Julie. Come on, boys.
All right, so here's the picture of today's family right here, isn't it? Uh, all of us with our heads buried. We go out and eat, and we're in the same room at the same table, but we don't know how to connect face-to-face. Isn't this the picture of modern-day America right now in, this, in the world? Haven't y'all been to restaurants and see this too? Like a couple on a date, and they're both on their phones? Yeah, so, so uh, let me show you how having your head in your app can negatively impact your marriage and your family. I'm going to give you some stats, and then we're going to go into Scripture. I want you to know that, uh, let's talk about marriage first, that 92% of divorces... When they started to talk about and, and discover what caused or was one of the reasons for divorce, 92% of them now say that cell phones or some type of tech, uh, they use it to prove that there was infidelity in the relationship. 92%. Uh, 16% of married folks report that their partner's use of Facebook directly contributes to their level of jealousy. Let that sink in. This is impacting our marriages. A recent study published in Computers and Human Behavior compared state-by-state divorce rates to per capita Facebook accounts. And what they discovered was that they found a link between social media use and decreased marriage quality in every model analyzed. And one in three divorces now start with an online affair. Think about that now. This one blows my mind, but uh, check this out. 30% of all Tinder users, some of you are like, well, what's Tinder? You don't need to know. It's it's an app. Don't go look it up. I'll tell you what it is. Tinder is an app. Uh, It's a dating app. 30% of Tinder users are married. There's another app out there, a website as well. Uh, it's a popular website that the sole purpose of that website, and they have an app as well, I believe, is for the sole purpose of helping married people find someone to have an affair with. And that app has 130 million users a month. So it is negatively impacting our marriages. Having our head in our app will impact your relationships. There's, uh, so that, that's marriage. Let me show you how it impacts family. Um, one study found that when the working parent arrives home after work, their children were so immersed in technology that 30% of the time, uh, only 30% of the time was the parent even greeted by the kid in the house because their head was stuck in their phone. And, uh, and 50% uh, said that they were ignored all the time by their children. Another one is that, uh, that it's been reported that family time uh, was, was not affected when technology was used for school, but it did hurt family communication when used for social reasons, and for, for social reasons only. So um, they, those that, these, these teenagers, well, mine are, this one's not a teenager, but this one is a teenager. Teenagers are now saying that because of the use of the networking sites, uh, they don't feel, they feel less supported by their family because they're so in, integrated into this social world out there. And perhaps the most obvious sign that uh, our apps are getting in the way is that 60 years ago, check this out, 60 years ago, on average, the average time the family sat together at dinner was 90 minutes. But today... The average amount of time that a family sits together around a dinner table is 12 minutes. 12 minutes. 
So the family table has become disrupted. And then I, I discovered this. This is the last one I'll give you today. Check this out. Children who eat dinner with their parents are five, who eat dinner with their parents five or more days a week have less trouble with drugs, less trouble with alcohol, they eat healthier, and they show better academic uh, performance, and they report being closer with their parents than the children who eat dinner with their parents less, off, less often. So all of this app, all these apps and technology that was supposed to cause us to connect has done just the opposite. And, and just from the information, just from uh, this statistical information, it ought to cause us to wake up and get our head out of our app. But I don't even think that we even understand of what is taking place. All anything sacred or holy anymore. And I believe that is a direct result uh, of, of the standards being lowered Because our standards are no longer set by our Savior. Our standards are set by our social media. The only way to have reverence is to spend time in family units talking about what is holy and what is sacred and what is right and what is wrong and setting the standard over and over and over again as family units talking about, dialoguing about, conversations about this is right, this is right, this is right, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong so that when our children leave our environment they have the ability to decipher even when society and social media and Hollywood and politicians stand up and make statements totally contrary to the word of God they have to know what's right and wrong and the only way that happens is when we teach them how to have reverence for God and his word so if we don't get our head out of our app we won't have any reverence I'm telling you right now the second thing I recognize is this is if we don't get our head out of our app we will no longer have abundance and a long good life you say well you don't have any proof of that Yeah, yeah I do I just read it to you haven't, haven't you come to this conclusion? I, uh, leave, okay, I'll just tell you where. I desire abundance. I can, I've, been in both, I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I've had and I've had not. Had is better. Amen. Amen. Anybody? Okay, I just, just want to make sure I'm in the right room. We all desire a long, good life. I mean, as, as, uh, some of y'all don't even, don't even understand that because you're so young, you don't even recognize what I'm talking about. But those of us that are closer to the end than the beginning, we want a long Good life. Amen. I knew I'd get some help from the old, you know how old you are life, whether you're clapping or not. All right. Um, but I also want you to understand, because I, I've come to this conclusion, we should know this, that every one of God's blessings are conditional. There is always an if you will do this, then. Also meaning that if you don't do this, then you don't get... What was okay? So, so too often, what happens is we want to be blessed, but we don't want to take the steps necessary to secure the blessing. We want the we want the results without the taking taking the steps to produce the results. We want the promise without any of the process. And so, abundance. Listen to this: abundance and a long good life, according to word to the word. Not not, not me. I'm just reading Bible to you. I didn't set this up. This is not my idea. Because if it was me, I'd say, you know, abundance ought to be based on whether you, vote, whether you cheer for a certain football team or not. And if you don't, then you shouldn't be blessed. 
All right, that's the way I would set it up. All right, but the, I, I didn't set it up. No, I didn't. God did. And this is what I've, I, I just read it to you. Abundance and long good life are conditional based upon our willingness to spend time talking about the regulations and commandments of God on a consistent basis. Scripture tells us that we are to mark and inscribe the laws of God, and and he does it twice. One, he says, we're supposed to put them on our heart, and then he comes back and he says, he's supposed to put them on our forehead and the doorpost of our house. We are to, in other words, we are to be marked. And I, I've learned some things. I don't know a lot of stuff, but I do know this. You are marked by what you meditate on. A fleeting thought doesn't leave permanent paths in your brain. It is what you dwell on and dwell in that marks you and leaves permanent patterns that you will follow. I think that's why God knew that. I think God knew that. He designed us, by the way. And I think He recognized that if we would spend time on a consistent basis talking, interacting, discussing the commandments and the regulations, we would, and we would become like David and we would meditate on His Word day and night and we would teach our children to meditate day and night on God's Word, that it would set these principles and these standards in our life and it would produce in us abundance and a long, good life. But you can't do that. If your head is stuck in your app and you're not willing to take any time. There's a third direct result, I believe, of our, our tendency now to be so consumed and overwhelmed by the technology of our, of our lifetime. I think if we're not very careful, what happens is this. We won't spiritually educate our children. I want you to notice the progression that we discover in this passage that I read to you. It first talks about that there's this process that takes place, and it's this. First, the commands have to be in us. And then we deposit them in our children. That's right. That's right. Okay, there, there's a process there we got to get. The commands have to be in us, and then we have the responsibility to deposit them in our children. I just want to stop here and say this, that there's too many of us that we have nothing to deposit in our kids because we have nothing deposited in us. And so this is what happens. The result is we want to pass the responsibility of spiritually educating our children to somebody else. Come on, youth pastor. Do your job. I ain't going to talk to my kids a lick about Bible. In fact, I'm not going to live the Bible in front of them. I'm going I'm to cohabitate. I'm going to drink myself silly every night. I'm going to take my drugs. I'm going to be addicted. But I want on Wednesday night in the one hour and ten minutes that you have them, would you please fix my kids? I'm going to use all kinds of language at home, but I want to bring them up here and drop them off on Wednesday night and me go like have my coffee or whatever. And while you got them, I want you to teach them not to use those bad words. 
We have a response. Listen, I am not railing against having a youth pastor. In fact, we hired one because we believe in them. I'm not saying we should have children's pastors. It's a key role here at the church. But this is what I am saying. You are allowed, and I believe divinely appointed by God, to have partners in the education of your children spiritually. But you are not allowed to have substitutes. They can have substitute teachers at school, but they cannot have substitute teachers in life because they will listen to what has been deposited in you and you have a responsibility to deposit in them. That's the way this process works. So whatever is in you ends up in them. That's, that ought to scare some of us to the point we can't sleep at night because we know what's in us. So we have this responsibility, and if we're not careful, this is what happens. Our, our children are supposed to hear our heart. They're supposed to hear our voice. We, we've got to talk about the things of God. We've got to communicate about the things of God. But if we have no heart and we have no voice to share, our children are, are being taught to connect. In fact, they were designed to connect. And in... in in the absence of your voice and in the absence of your ability to educate them in the things of God, can I tell you what will happen? They will connect with somebody. And they will listen to some voice. And so I want you to understand that we have got to come back to this place where as parents we rise up and we walk, or as a parent, some of you are in single parent homes, that's, that, then you are the voice. You should be the voice. You should be setting the standard. You should be declaring the things of God over them. You should be talking to them and conversing with them about the things of God. It's your responsibility. His job and his wife's job and the youth sponsor's job is to walk alongside of you and reinforce what you have been teaching them at home. Don't, don't ask them to teach them what you're not willing to teach. They, they only get them for an hour a week. And you've got them 24 hours a day. Seven days a week. And you've got to speak. You've got to communicate. We've got to determine that they will connect with us. Why? Why is it so important for our children to connect to us so that we can connect them to God? And that's our job. Last, I want to say this to you. I, I just need to, uh, to drive this home this morning, what I'm saying, because I, I, I made a promise to you that over the course of these uh, weeks together talking about our technology, we would get very practical and, and take some steps. And I know some of you have because your screen time has gone down. So I know you're taking some really practical steps, and I'm glad. So this morning, I just, I just, I just want you to understand that table talk matters. I want to say it like this. Uh, uh, according to the scripture, what I read to you is that it isn't enough to just declare the commands of God. The instructions found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that I read to you says this. It says that, that they must be declared, but there's another level. And that is they must also be deposited. The, the command is this. The command is to get the commandments... And in our, in our uh, frame of reference, get, the, the, get all the, the knowledge and the teaching and the instructions uh, wrapped up in Scripture. The, 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 the instruction is this. Get it. Get all that stuff and get it down inside your children. Yes. That's what we're told to do. 
the command is to get the commands inside our children. So let me tell you, because I, I begin to ask some questions like, how do you do that? How do we do that? Well, I believe that the difference between the commands getting into our head and into our heart, listen to this, stay with me. I know you're, you're being distracted, but stay with me. The difference between his commands getting into your head and into your heart is simply this. Repeated face-to-face conversations. That's it. Uh, At least according to the scripture I read. The difference between me just saying some things to you and moving into this place where we do more than just talk and say or, 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 or declare this over our children. The way we deposit them deep down inside of our children is by repeated Face to face, not screen to screen, not scream to scream, but repeated face to face conversations. The command is this get these commandments securely fastened. That's what it means to inscribe them. Securely fasten them on your children and in your children. So how do you do that? I believe that this table setting is where we implement the law of implementation. The law of implementation says this. You keep repeating until it's repeatedly done. Did you get that? You keep repeating things until it's repeatedly done. So what does that mean in our situation? To be clear, for us to get the commandments of God down into the hearts, deposited into the core being of our children, then this is what has to happen. Our conversations must be consistently centered. When you say, well, what are you talking about? I, I say it like that because I'm convinced that most of our conversations anymore are centered around our society more than they're centered around our Savior. And our conversations tend to be more about our culture than about our Christ. So what happens is we gather at tables and our kids get on phones and we talk about, how's the weather? It's great. I'm kind of cold. Could you turn it down? They're sitting right there. How, how was school? Well, school was great. Or this is really how it goes. I don't even have my phone. Let me get my phone because I want to show you how it really happens because this is how it really goes. We're sitting face to face. And our conversation is like this. How was school? It was great. Appreciate it. How'd you do in sports? It was a it was a good day. How did work go? It was work. Mm. Nah. Anything going on? Nah. Anything unusual happened today? Mm. Did you see the ball game on TV? Yeah, man. Did you see the Did you see what the Thunder did last night? Came back from twenty six points. Greatest, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. See ya. Not one mention of God. Not one mention of scripture, not one going over any teaching from, and then we wonder why our children walk through life and they have no concept. Listen, table talk matters. We have got to come back to this place where we're constantly reminding them of the standards that Jesus gave us, the teachings that Jesus gave us, the the information, the instructions, talking about it, drilling it down, communicating it because table talk matters. 
What you talk about at the table will impact and structure the life of your children for generations to come. And some of them are going to be able to give all the stats about the Thunder and about OU and about the Dallas Cowboys and about the uh, and all these all these other things. They're going to be able to talk about what you did at work. They're going to be talking about who you're mad at. They're going to be talking about who you unfriended on Facebook, and they won't know diddly squat about the things of God. Because our head is in our app, and we don't talk. If you want a strong family, if you want a strong marriage, if you want a strong mother-son, father-daughter, family, parents-to-children relationship, then we are going to have to make up our minds to put this stuff down and go back to the table and spend time talking a thing, talking about the things that really matter, like... Love your neighbor. And blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are the peacemakers. And we just walk through and we teach our children that we turn the other cheek. And when people use us and treat us bad, we bless them and we don't curse them. How do they learn that? Around the table. So I want to do this. I want to challenge you practically this week. Last week I asked you to fight the flash by laying your phone down and using it less. And I think many of you have done that and I hope it's been a great week for you. But I want to challenge you this week. I want to invite you to come back to the table. I want to invite you for the sake of your family to come back to the table. Come on boys, Julie, would you join me back at the table? And let's, let's practically show, illustrate, uh, let, let's, let's get really practical. I'm asking you to do this at least two times this week. If you're, if you're in a dating relationship, do this with the person that in somebody that you're like-minded with and can spend quality time with. And I want at least twice this week, I want us to come back to the table. And I want us to bring our phones and do this. And now they're off limits. And it's going to force us. It's going to force us. (laughs) To look one another square in the eyes. And talk about what matters. For the sake of our families. For the sake of your family. For the sake of your children. That one of these days will be on their own. And need to know how to live. And you won't be around to ask. But the good news is they wouldn't need to ask you. Because they've already heard you say. That this is what's important. Two times this week. For no less than 60 minutes. That's going to be a struggle right there. Because some of y'all eat really fast on purpose. So you don't have to talk to the person you're sitting at the table with. But for about an hour, two hours this week, stack them in the center of the table and communicate so that we can be blessed and have an abundance and a long, good life because we've taken the time to deposit this love for Jesus into them. So, Father, this morning I pray that through the course of this week 
you would remind us of what's important. You would remind us of the most important things in life. Our number one calling is to connect with you, but we also have a calling and a responsibility to connect to those people we call ours. And so this morning, Father, I pray that together as family units in this congregation, for the sake of marriages that are being negatively impacted by technology, for the wife that sits at home and wonders if her husband really loves her because he spends more time looking at his phone than he does looking at her. For the husband that is here this morning afraid that maybe his wife is more connected to someone online than she's connected to him. For the sake of our marriages, Father, I pray that you would teach us this morning that we've got to come back to the table and lay those things down and Commit once again to what really matters. Father, if there's obstacles and barriers to communication in a, in a marriage relationship this morning, I pray that you'd break that wall down and that this simple, practical step would allow us to open up a pathway to talk again. And I pray that as we communicate, we wouldn't spend our time just talking about our day. We would start talking about you and the things that you've promised us and the things that you've said. For the sake of the marriages in this place, I pray. God, for our families, for those of us that you've tasked with the responsibility of training our children. I pray that as we approach the table once again this week, twice this week at least. I pray that you would break down every barrier, every obstacle, any wall of communication. And as we eat dinner together. And probably experience some very silent and awkward moments. I pray that in those moments you would reconnect our hearts to one another. And I pray that as parents you would give us the guts and the determination and the fortitude to deposit the commands of God. The standards of our Savior into our children. So that they can be blessed with abundance and live long good lives. I pray that we would make this a habit over and over again. So that when my kids get a paycheck and I walk in the room and say, you need to, they finish my sentence, pay my tithes. Not out of legalism, but because they know I want them to be blessed. So that I can say to, to my sons, you need to treat women. And with, without me being able to finish the sentence, they say, with respect. Because I've said it so often. When mom says to them, have you spent any time? They can say, in the word. Because it's been repeated so often. May we do what you've called us to do and mark our children 
with the commands from your word so that what you've deposited in us would outlive us and produce fruit in their lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I pray over every person in this congregation today. I pray that any moment or feeling of resistance or fear or maybe this is such a foreign concept that they're not even sure their kids would want to spend time with them. And Father, I, I even pray, I just sense this, I, I pray for those that are in the house that their children are grown. They don't even live at home anymore. But they need a refresher course. And so I pray that even, even parents with grown children this week would take a step of faith and call their grown children and say, hey, do you have time to meet? Let's, let's do a couple dinners tonight. Bring the grandkids. I want the grandkids to hear my voice. I want them to see how I treat grandma or grandpa. I want them to see how, I treat, how, how as son and father we interact. Even when you're grown, I want them to see how we interact. And Father, I pray that our marriages and our families would be stronger this time next week as we simply obey and do what you've called us to do. I ask you to help us in this. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.